We are in week two of what is going to be the most life-changing, heart-transforming, faith-exploding series I believe we've ever done. It's a study verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we're calling it Live Ready. Live Ready. And last week, we started off and we went through uh, and looked at the fact that it's time. It's time to come to Jesus for the first time. It's time to press into him if we already belong to him. It's time to enter into that love relationship more deeply than we ever have. Uh, Many of you did that last week. We saw the purpose and the theme of this book of Revelation is uh, summarized in the first five words. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed, not just theoretically, not just factually, but uh, in an experiential way, because he's reaching out to us. The reason he is revealed in all his mercy, in all his grace, in all his holiness, in all his lordship, in all his love, in all his holiness, is so that we can respond to him, so that we can come to him, so that we might find life and freedom and forgiveness and and and. And, and victory, because as we go through this book, we're going to see Jesus as victorious. We're going to see Christus victor, and uh, in him, you will be victorious as well. Uh, and we need to be, given all the stuff that lies ahead, not only in this book, not only in the pages of the newspaper, but in our lives. It is all coming about, and, and our relationship to him is crucial. Okay, here we go. Revelation 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. We'll read the passage, and then we'll unpack it. We're going to start in verse 4 and go through verse 8. Here it is. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Amen, amen. Okay, now, uh, during... The time we have together this morning, in the next (coughs) minutes, uh, what we're going to do is try to look at a few things. We want to look at the grace and peace that results in joy that God wants to wrap you up in, fill you over in. We want to look at how to get that through Jesus. We're going to look at the nature and character of the Trinity that shows us God's complete willingness and God's complete power and ability to deliver on that promise of grace and peace that results in joy. We're going to look at why Jesus needs to rescue us to make it all possible. And uh, we'll look at whether we either are going to choose 
to be rescued by Jesus or to cry out for someone or something to rescue us from Jesus. That's pretty tall order. We'll get through as much as we can. Uh, Let's go. Uh, We're going to unpack it starting with verse 4. And here we have a brief introduction. John. Now John is the author, the human author of this book. He's really just a scribe because the Holy Spirit is speaking these God-breathed words through John who is putting pen to paper, okay? Or parchment, as, a, as the case is in the, in, right here. John, the apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, and he's writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. Seven churches in Asia and one in Gunnison. Okay, now that's not in the text, but it is. But it is. Um, I want you to see that, don't you think it's odd, it strike anybody as odd that there were seven churches in Asia, and there were like 12, 14, 18 churches in Denison. That you could see that as a blessing or a a brokenness. I I don't know. Um, But this letter is the original recipients of this letter, the, the book of Revelation, were these seven churches. But just like we have in the Bible, letters from Paul, which we call epistles, Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, many others, that they were the original recipients of that scripture, but it is also for us. So John is not only writing to the seven churches uh, that are in Asia, he's also writing to this church and these people and you and me right here. So this word is for us. And uh, we have a letter before us. So I want you to picture something. I want you to picture going to the mailbox of your heart. Going to the mailbox of your heart, okay? So my heart doesn't have a mailbox. Picture it. Enter into this. So you go to the mailbox of your heart and you open it up and there's a letter there, but it's different than any letter you've ever received because this letter is, is, is big and it's glowing and it's addressed to you and you're trembling and you're fearful. Why? Because you look at the return address and here's what it says, God Almighty. God Almighty has written to you and you're trembling because you think you know what this is about. You're saying, my life is a train wreck. Um, I think I know what this is about. He's talking about that. I've ignored God. Uh, I've not lived the way I know I'm supposed to. I think that this letter may be about, in the words of Katy Perry, last Friday night. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Um, And I fear that whatever this letter says, it might have something in it like a little kind of monopoly card that says, go to hell, go straight to hell, do not collect go, do not collect $200, collect go, (laughs) pass go, I played monopoly. You fear that it might have something like that because you know yourself, you know that God is almighty and God is all holy and I can't bear to open this, but I have to because you can't ignore communication like that. So you close your eyes and you peel open the envelope and you take the letter out and you open your eyes and you're ready for condemnation and guilt and grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Grace to you and peace. That's what God wants for you. 
That's his communication. You just won the spiritual Powerball. You did. Tell your faith. You just won grace and peace. Maybe you don't understand. This is awesome. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is grace and peace from the Godhead, from the Trinity, from the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace. Oh, it could have been condemnation. It could have been judgment. It's not. He wants grace for you. He wants peace for you. Maybe we don't understand grace. Grace is undeserved love, blessing, and favor. Undeserved. What do you mean? You mean God wants to pour out his love on me? I know me. I know me. And there are many times, most times, I don't even love me. My friends don't even love me that well sometimes. If those of you who know me know my dog doesn't love me. And God, who knows it all, wants to love me lavishly, uh, indescribably. I don't deserve that. You're right. None of us do. But that's grace. And God, that's the very thing that he wants to pour over you and surround you with and fill you with. That's grace. Make sure you receive it and continue to receive it every moment of every day as you walk through life. That's grace, undeserved love. And it's also undeserved blessing. Undeserved blessing. God wants the very best for you, every good thing in your life. He wants to lead you into freedom and faith and joy. Every good thing, really? I don't even want every good thing for myself. In fact, if, if you're honest, if you're anything like me, we often want stuff that we know is not good for us. We want stuff that, that eventually is going to destroy us. Part of my wanting is a big part of my problem. My wanter is broken. And so is yours, if you're honest. But God wants every good thing. I don't deserve that. You're right. You don't. I don't. But that's grace. That's what he wants. He wants to lavish us with blessing undeserved. So make sure you get that. Not only now, but every moment of every day as you go through your life. That's part of grace. That's what he wants to you. Grace to you. To, to you. And it's not only undeserved love. It's not only undeserved blessing. It's undeserved favor. Is God's going to do you favors, do favors for you? Well, kind of, but not really. Favor means acceptance. Favor means um, treating you as if you were his favorite child. Really? Really? My parents never, never bestowed that kind of favor on me. My siblings certainly didn't. My teachers didn't. My kids don't. My wife sometimes does. Um... No, 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 because we're imperfect, right? And I don't, for her, favor of that magnitude, my boss doesn't. Yet God, who is so unapproachable in his holiness, becomes approachable in Jesus Christ and wants to bestow favor on me. If he was picking a team, oh, you know, I'd be sitting on the bench. I don't deserve that. You're right. But that's grace, 
undeserved love, undeserved blessing, undeserved favor, and make sure that you enter into, realize, and experience the favor of God, not just now, but every moment of your life as you move through life, because that's grace. And if that's not good enough, it's grace and peace. Grace and peace. Are you kidding me? Peace? Peace is not just the absence of war. It is that. And it's not just the externals. It's inside. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul. That means there's no anxiety. That means there's no worry. That means there's no fear. That means there's no trembling. There's, except for the beauty of God, peace, no stress, peace that only he can give, peace that passes understanding, peace that makes no sense at all, peace regardless of how nasty and ugly the circumstances are that you're facing, the questions you have about how things are going to work out in your life tomorrow, next week, next year, you know. These things that are unanswered, that are unclear, you can walk through them, these things that are threatening, in perfect peace and grace. You have undeserved favor, undeserved love, undeserved blessing, and peace that makes people think, that's stupid. This person obviously doesn't realize what they're facing. Yes, you do. But you're possessed by grace and peace, and it's wonderful. If you have this grace and peace, why don't you see this? If you live in and are saturated with and filled to overflowing with this grace that we just talked about, with this peace that we just talked about, the outflow of that would be incredible joy joy. I'm not talking about happiness, which depends on happenings, which is temporary. I'm talking about deep joy, the kind of joy that God promises, the kind of joy that only God can deliver, the kind of joy where I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil and rejoice because you are with me. I have joy. My marriage can't threaten that joy. Our fighting can't uh, threaten that joy. My friends can't threaten that joy. My enemies can't threaten that joy. Bankruptcy can't threaten that joy. My sin can't threaten that joy. You got that kind of joy? If we had that grace and peace, it would be joyful. Would it not? It would. And that is what he wants for us. And my fear is that many of us will go, yeah, yeah, no, that is, yeah, I, I see that in his word. And we'll walk out of here without it. Or we'll take it, and then we'll put it down and, and shift our focus. The call of God is to be surrounded by, infused by him, by his Holy Spirit, which gives us grace and peace, which results in joy at every moment. It is always there for you. In a sense, when we're not filled with grace, when we're not filled with peace, when we're not filled with joy, it's your choice. Because it's always there. It's always there. We're going to see a, a physical manifestation of that a little bit later. But before we do, before we see what that looks like, we got to take a look at who's promising this. Because that depends. If it's John, if it's John who says, I'm giving you grace and peace, it's going to result in your joy. Then I, I really, I'm going to save the receipt. You know, because I don't know. In fact, I'm really sure that John can't deliver that. 
Here's the great news. The grace and peace is not from John. It is from God, the triune God, the Trinity. Three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one in three persons. And I would submit to you that this grace and peace is promised and provided by, comes with our being in, get this, the group hug of the Trinity. The group hug of the Trinity. Where do you get that, Tom? From the scripture. Grace and peace. Who's it from? From him who is, who was, and who is to come. You know who that is? That's God the Father. That's God the Father on the throne of the universe. That's the big kahuna. Okay? God the Father. And he is offering you a father love. A father love that you and I crave. Now, I, I, it doesn't really matter if you have, everybody here has a father, whether you know him or not, right? You have an earthly father. And every one of us here has a heavenly father, whether we know him or not. And it doesn't really matter whether you have an earthly father who is loving and godly and good, or whether you have a crappy earthly father who doesn't reflect the nature and character of God. It doesn't really matter if you're young or old. It doesn't really matter if you are a woman or a buff, tough alpha male like myself. You and I, as tough as we are, as gentle as we are, as broken as we are, as fixed as we are, whatever we are, God has created us, created our hearts to have this hunger, this yearning, this craving for the Father love of God. And it is being offered to you. And your heart, your soul, your deepest person will not be satisfied until you are in the embrace of the Father love of God. And inherently we know this. Why do I say we know this? Because those of us who have never had this Father love of God, will, or those of us who have and have kind of walked away from it, we'll try to, to soothe that craving, that yearning, not with the fatherhood of God, but with other things. And that's the quest of our life. And that's where we go off track. That's where we, and some of us do it through good things and some of us do it through bad things, but they're all things that can't deliver on the promise. It might be work. It might be your appearance and trying to look attractive or, or, or more fit or, or more acceptable. It might be that you are active. I'm going to be active. I'm going to be productive. I'm going to make the most of every day. Um, I'm going to feed that hunger with my studies, with my, uh, with my classes, with the advancement of my career. I'm going to fill that hunger with sports or the accumulation of stuff or money or sex or affection or uh, porn or uh, hobbies or recreation or some of these things are good or alcohol or drugs. I, I don't mean to say some of these things are good and then go into things that are bad. Um, or you name it. Until you and I are embraced fully in the fatherhood of God, the father love of God, we will seek other ways. We will seek other ways, and yet it's there and it's offered. That grace, that peace, 
that ends in your joy is offered by the Father, the Father. And he is saying, my love, my embrace, my acceptance, my protection, my provision are here for you. You are my child. You are accepted in Jesus Christ, everything. Like the father of uh, the prodigal, the brother, you know, the older brother who stays home. He says, you're my child, everything. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything he has is yours. And the father loves you. Be embraced, be enveloped, be covered in the Father's love. He's saying, come home. Come home. I have everything that you need. And it's for you. This grace and peace is not only, that group hug is not just the Father of God. Who is it? One who is, who is, who was, and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Get that. That's the person, God, the Holy Spirit, Right? He said the seven spirits that are before the throne. There are seven Holy Spirits? No, there's just one. Tom, I don't think you're interpreting the Bible correctly. It says there's seven spirits. There's just one. Just one. If there were seven, then those of you who, like me, were raised Catholic would have to bless ourselves like this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. But we don't, right? Because there's one. Because we have to look at the genre. We have to look at what kind of scripture we're studying. The pause that refreshes us. The seven spirits. Now, John, all through the book of Revelation, just like Daniel, just like Ezekiel, just like Isaiah, just like all prophetic scripture, he's describing things where language breaks down. It's too wonderful. In some cases, it's too horrific. And so we'll see a lot of um, symbolic language, okay, whether it's numbers or images. And so it's going to help if you keep with us week to week as we go verse by verse through this very, very important book. Because you're going to see symbols that are repeated over and over in different contexts. And you'll understand what they mean. They won't be confusing to you. And, and the numbers are very important. And the number seven describes completeness. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Seven in prophetic scripture is perfection. Seven is fullness. Seven is complete. So this is saying the fullness of the Holy Spirit, right? So we'll see that over and over again. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, seven, seven, seven. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And we sing holy, holy, holy. Do you you see the connection? Okay, now, before we leave that, here's a sidebar. Those things, those spirits, those things that are trying to look perfect but fall short. Trying to appear like God but aren't. Imperfection. That number's not seven, it's six. The number for the unholy trinity, if the holy trinity is seven, 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 the unholy trinity of the Antichrist, of Satan, of the beast is six, six. Now, when we get to that in the scripture, we'll spend much more time. But I want you to see 
how those numbers actually represent things that, that do make a whole lot of sense to us. So this is seven. The seven spirits before the throne are the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this comes from a prophecy that was actually written uh, more than a thousand years beforehand from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. I had my pen there, so I just won the sword drill. Um, if you want to turn there, that's great. Shelby's brought it up. I want you to see this. The sevenfold manifestation, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are seven qualities here. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, talking about Jesus, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I want you to count this down with me, okay? Or count this up. One. Say it. One. Use your words. Use your words. One. The Spirit of the Lord. Two, the spirit of wisdom. Three, the spirit of understanding. Four, the spirit of counsel. Five, the spirit of might. Six, the spirit of knowledge. Seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the spirit, it says, that will be upon Jesus Christ. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ. This is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the spirit that hovered over the water in the void of creation, right? This is the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear and honor of the Lord is within you and filling you and overflowing you, the junk you're dealing with and are worried about can't stand a chance are you filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit? That Holy Spirit, along with the Father love of God and God the Father, is calling you into grace and peace that results in your joy. If you don't have that, if you don't have them, if you're not caught up and, and, and surrounded in that group hug of the Trinity, it's your choice. It is offered to you. I plead with you. So we're just two-thirds of the way through the Trinity. It gets better. Go back to the Scripture and Revelation. Here it is. It's not only from the Father. It's not only from the Spirit. It goes in verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. And he's used three, three descriptors. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. This corresponds with Jesus' three roles of prophet, priest, and king, right? So we look at Jesus Christ. He's the one. He is offering this to you, this grace, this peace, all of the faithful witness. What does faithful witness mean? Well, the original Greek word that's used for witness is the same word we use for martyr, martyr, somebody who gives their, their life for their faith, right? And he does that. He is the faithful witness, the faithful martyr. He gives his life for ours. He takes our sin, gives us his righteousness. He lives the life that we can't live in our place. He dies to self so that we can live to him. And, and, and he is the faithful witness. That also means he's the exact representation of God the Father. You want to know what the Father looks like, you look at the Son. He's the exact representation of the Father. And then he calls us in him to let him live through us so we can be the faithful witness until he changes us gradually into the exact representation of the Son. So you have the Son reflecting the Father, you have the church reflecting the Son, and the whole world is glorified and blessed and set free. 
Do you see that? If you're not in that, he's calling you into that. He's calling you into the grace, the peace that results in your joy, the group hug of the Trinity, the Godhead. That's what he's calling you into. He's not only called the faithful witness, he's called the firstborn of the dead. Firstborn of the dead. Now, what does that mean? Firstborn of the dead. It means Jesus was the first. It doesn't mean that Jesus has an actual birthday, that there was a time in eternal history when Jesus wasn't, and then Bethlehem came and poof, he was. No, he is eternal. He existed time, eternal past, eternity, future. He's the first. He was there, right? He is the creator God. And he is the first. Colossians 1.17 says, Jesus is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Among all beings, he is of first priority. Firstborn of the dead means more than that Jesus was resurrected. Now, um, those of you who are familiar with scripture, why don't you take a look at something? You know that Jesus, as he walked around, one of his hobbies was to ruin funerals. By that I mean, he would go around and people who had dead, who, who were died, right? Who were died. People who were died. Early. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, there are other, other churches with smarter pastors, yeah. But look, God's here, so come for him. Um, where were we? Okay, so Jesus would ruin funerals. He would go, he goes to Lazarus. Lazarus, he's dead. Jesus raises him to life. There's a temple ruler whose daughter has just died. Jesus raises her from the dead. There's a, a widow whose son is in the box, raises him up. Everyone during Jesus' earthly ministry, who he raised to life again, he raised to the same natural life that they had before. You tracking with me? Lazarus, the daughter of the temple ruler, the son of the widow, they all came back to life and eventually died. Eventually they, they, they died. When Jesus was went to the cross as our substitute in our place for our sins and rose again on Easter morning. He rose defeating death, hell, the grave, and the curse of sin over mankind, never to die again. And when he offers to raise us up, Ryan will sing a song, I will rise when he calls my name. He wants to raise us up, not into life we had before, but into the new life that he has won for us through his death and resurrection. You can begin. You are in Christ living eternal life right now. It doesn't start the day you flatline. It starts right now. And it's bulletproof. Your body is going to die. You are going to flatline someday. The question is, is that going to be just another step into the presence of God because you have been living that eternal life in him? Or is it going to be eternal death because you've been living separate from him and rejecting his call and the call of the Trinity to enter into the group hug of God's love, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, 
in which is life and grace and peace and joy and freedom and all the things we crave and try to buy and try to experience, even through good things like our marriage, even in good things like our kids, even in good things like sports, even in good things like food. Your husband, your wife, is not going to do it for you. Say, amen, brother. Don't raise your hand now, okay? It won't go well for you on the ride home. If God, if God is not giving you grace and peace that leads to your joy, then as much as you grin and as happy as you look, you don't have it. And the only way to enter into this is through Jesus Christ. We're going to see that. We're going to see that. So he is, he is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of dead. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. Jesus is large and in charge. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is on the throne above every earthly and heavenly principality, good, evil, and everything in between. He is king over Muammar Gaddafi. He is king over King John, Kim Jong-il. He is king over Barack Obama. He is king over the Mattress King. He is king over the Burger King. He is king over every, everything. He is on the throne. Here's the question. Are all the kings of the earth under his, submitting to his authority as king? Are all the people of the world submitted to his authority as king? No. Are all the people in the church submitting to his authority as king? All those who name the name of Jesus Christ, who have faith in him to wash them clean and accept them as their savior, not all of us have him on the throne of our wills, on the throne of our minds, as the throne of our hearts. And he's saying, I am. And only in submitting to my kingship, my bosshood, my leadership of your life, every command, every desire I have for you, you've seen it, it's grace and peace. It's to lead you into life, not to rob it from you. So when he calls us to submit to his kingship, that is not onerous. That is not burdensome. That's not threatening. We should be grateful. Yeah, I want to be a servant of the king. I want to be a child of the king. I want to live as, did you get invited to the royal wedding? I didn't. I check my mailbox every day. It's sweet being a royal. You get privileges. You get relationships. You get perks that other people don't get. He's inviting you not only to be subject to his kingship. We're going to see in verse 6 or 7, I, I got to look to check. He makes you kings and priests to our God. He wants to induct you into the royal family as his kid. Jesus as, his, as your brother. That's what it's about. Why? Why does he want this? Because he loves you says, because he loves us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He loves. You see, that's present tense. 
He loved you in the past. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, he loved us. When we treated him the worst and ignored him the most, he loved us best, right? We did the crime, he did the time because of his love. Because of his love. What is living in this group hug of the Trinity look like? I need Ryan McBride, Eric Williams, if you could come up. We are being cast as the Trinity. I know, I know, it's, it's a piece of bad casting, right? I know, but just imagine, Brian, you get to be Jesus, okay? Now, um, Summer, would you just stand right where you are? Okay, now, this is the group hug of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus, extend the hand, the nail-pierced hand. Wait, you don't take it yet. Don't take it yet. I know you want to, and I love you for it. And I know that your heart is beaten to do it. But so many of us are living outside, seeing the outstretched hand of Jesus, inviting us into the group hug of the Trinity and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I think life exists out here. I think freedom and joy exists out here, not in the restricted, closed-minded confines of the embrace of the Godhead. But you take his hand. And you enter in, stand in the middle there. And you are surrounded by the Father love of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and the, the love and, and, and provision and, and cleansing of Jesus Christ. And although it is around you, sometimes you connect with it, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you see the circumstances. Sometimes you see the threats. Sometimes you see the threats and the stress and and all the things in your life. So you draw in closer and say, I hear you calling me deeper. There's more to you than I have and, and are willing to experience. So you get closer. So now it is so much a part of your life, but still there are times that, that, that you lose focus and you can't connect with the Father love of God. You don't feel filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't feel like Jesus is walking before you, beside you, behind you. And then he calls you into full embrace the group hug of the Trinity, the Godhead. And this is what life and grace and freedom and joy look like. And my call and my question and my pleading to you is, as you walk through life, is this what you're experiencing? Because it can be, this is exactly what God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son is calling you into. Nothing touches you that does not go through the providential, wise, protection, arms, and heart of God. Nothing you can do can stand up against this. Depression serves no chance, has no chance. Division has no chance. Bankruptcy doesn't matter. Divorce can't touch you. Anxiety, it doesn't matter. Addiction can't hurt you. This is the provision of God. This is the holy embrace. No matter where you go, you can't see anything but the love and grace and joy and peace of God. And here's the question. As you walk through life, are you walking in... Thanks. Are you walking in the fullness of that? If I'm honest, 
I have to tell you that my life has been all too few moments when I have experienced that reality in between many long times when I have sacrificed it unnecessarily. If that resonates with your heart, this is the call of God. Not, not so long as you do this, 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 and this first. He is calling you into that because of who He is. Not because of what you are right now. That can be the way that we live life. That is the way God calls us into life. That is the life we're going to have to experience to be able to faithfully endure everything that lies ahead for us. All, good and bad. All the things that are in this book that are unfolding in history right now. That's the way we've got to go through it. You will overcome like that and no other way. And it's offered to you. And, 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 and it's offered to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We're, we're going to end there because uh, there's way too much. And, and we'll get that next week. But why? Why is sin so much a problem? And if you're religious, this is going to be your answer. Because sin is opposite of the holiness of God. And so it offends God. And that's why God hates sin. Yes, that's true. But if that is your only understanding of why God hates sin then you will miss, as many churchy people do, the heart of God. One other reason why God hates sin is sin is what keeps us out of that embrace, that group hug of the Trinity. Sin is the very thing that destroys the people that Jesus loves, that God loves, that the Spirit loves. Breaks his heart. Yes, it offends him because it's the opposite of who he is but it keeps us out of his embrace and it destroys the very people that he came and sacrificed his life for. But he overcame that on the cross. That's the gospel. That's good news. So are you going to enter in? Are you going to enter in? Do you need the, the father love of God? Do you need the filling of the Holy Spirit? Do you need this, the rescue of Jesus? Yes. Are you outside? Are you needing to receive? Open yourself up more until all you can see, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's threatening you, is grace and peace that leads to joy in Him. If you have then why does your life and mine look the way it does? If we had all that, I'm not saying our circumstances would change, some of them would, but we'd go through it and everything we hit, hits God first. Summer didn't have an idea of what was coming. She could only see God. She didn't know what was going to touch her, but if anything touched her, it had to go through God. And every part of her was surrounded by the love of God. She was aware of it. And here's a beautiful thing. Over time, we don't only sense it. It becomes one. That's God's call to us. That's what he wants. That's what 
what he offers. And nothing done disqualifies you. As long as you're willing to come and say, I, I tried life outside of that. It's destroying me. I don't want that. I can't have that. But I, I can't do this life. You have to do it. Then you're there. Come. The Godhead is inviting you into a group hug that will give you grace and peace, joy, life, forgiveness, freedom. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And we aren't. We're worse than we feared. You're better than we imagined. And we, in the midst of those two truths, are more loved than we ever dreamed. So because that's true, and because Jesus, for the believer and the unbeliever alike, is holding out his nail-pierced hand and saying, enter in more fully, whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, or deeper than you've ever been brave enough to enter into. Ask me. And we will hold you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, life would be, well, it'd be the way you desire it to be for us. And Lord, our wanter is broke. But if you would overcome that and put your desires in our hearts, we'll run home. Give us the strength and the bravery to do that right now, continually, until you come back. Because then you're not going to be a stranger. We're already connected. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.